Hello, this is Ted Bell with North Star Canoes. I am the president of North Star Canoes Incorporated, uh, former president of Bell Canoe Works, and have um, about 40 years of canoe manufacturing under my belt. I have been uh, happily involved with Paragus Northwoods Outfitters and Steve Paragus up in Ely since the late 80s when I started building Bell Canoes. Steve and I have been good friends. He's a phenomenal supporter of the Boundary Waters, great person for resources of for trips where to go. He sells our canoes nationwide and somehow delivers canoes from Florida to California. I don't know how he does it. We're really pleased to uh, have Paragus Northwoods Outfitters selling our product. They do a wonderful job representing our product as well as other companies. We are uh, proud to support Paragus Northwoods Outfitters, the Boundary Waters, and this podcast. This is the WTIP Boundary Waters Podcast. This is the wilderness that Dave and I were both introduced to as kids. You know, our first wilderness camping experiences were in the Boundary Waters. And in summer, you wake up, you swim through the lake, you have breakfast, then you can relax, you can go paddling, you can go hiking. We've done this trip before to Horseshoe Lake, and I remember catching walleye there before. I went on a canoe trip in the Boundary Waters, and it's, it was really cool. It was my first time. The route from Ram Lake back to Poplar Lake with, with no packs, with, with only a day pack, uh, we take it in one day. Well, you can look to Venus, you can look to Mars. I will set my sights by the northern star and in the deep dark blue. Oh, and in the deep dark blue come the northern light. Everybody loved to read his columns. Everybody loved to read his feature stories. It, um, they were three-page stories with photos in a small newspaper. It was a big part of the Duluth News Tribune. I remember one, one time uh, that we went brook trout fishing and an article was in the paper and um, he wasn't going to disclose anything about that name of that lake. His just description was just too good. And the next, next week you could hardly get your car in there. So he still feel, feels guilty about that all these years later. There was a kind of a slow movement away from the fishing and hunting stories into other facets of the outdoors. And that's where Sam took the Duluth News Tribune and took all his readers. And I like, like to feel that it was a small part of that because now we're in a kayak and we're up at Puckasaw paddling. And now we're skiing down a river. And now we're skiing into the boundary waters. And all these things evolved. And Sam was always open to those things because there again, it's part of the outdoors, but also it's, it's part of the story of people and their interests and how they all the biggest thing is to get out there, not so much what you do. 
I think it's his, his, his storytelling, his recognizing what the story is, and that it, it's about people is what made his story so good. Welcome to episode 83 of the WTIP Boundary Waters podcast. I'm with Joe Fredericks. I'm here with Matthew Baxley once again on a beautiful winter day. You were just hearing the voice of local Buck Benson, who we heard on a previous episode of the podcast, talking about his experience of the subject of today's episode, our paddle profiler series, Sam Cook. Sam Cook, great outdoor writer, still doing some stuff for the Duluth News Tribune. He retired a couple years ago, but... He has been a contributor of outdoor knowledge and things about the Boundary Waters on WTIP, the radio station, for a decade or more, more than a decade. He's been on here on the radio station. He used to come on this show that Buck actually hosted for a while called The Roadhouse back in the day. little local <laughs> sensation. That's right. Yeah. And uh, just, to, you know, the thing I really like about Sam Cook's writing is it's so approachable it's not uh, elitist. It's just like, hey, I go out and do these things. It's very accessible mm-hmm. to, to the everyday adventurer. And right. that that's a powerful thing. And that's why Sam's story is worth sharing a little bit. Let's jump right in. My name's Sam Cook. I live in Duluth, Minnesota. And... I was outdoors writer at the Duluth News Tribune for 38 years, uh, starting in 1980. So got to know a whole bunch of the North Country and, and certainly the Gunflint, Grand Marais, you know, Ely. That was places. Those are places I love to go. You've definitely cultivated a career of travel and exploration in in the wildest places of our region. Uh, I would love to go a little bit back to the beginning. Where did that start for you? Did Was that something that started in childhood or did it come out as an adult? Um, I'll tell you where it started. My parents were not outdoorsy people at all and never took us camping or anything. We grew up in Kansas and Phyllis and I, after we got married, decided to move from Kansas to Ely in 76 and that was a big move and no one could understand why we were leaving but um so then uh once and that was just going to be for a year we were going to just stay for a year and and uh and and then we decided we couldn't go back so we figured out a way to stay here and I worked in Ely for a couple of years and a short stint in Colorado for a newspaper and then uh, managed to hook up with the Duluth News Tribune in 1980 and yeah, as a sports reporter and became outdoors writer within six months there and then just did that for 38 years. So, um, and it was, I mean, it's a dream job in a dream area to have that job, you know, to, to be able to go here and there and meet so many people. And once people kind of figured out what kind of stories, I didn't want to just do hunting and fishing type old school stuff. And so, we worked in, you know, wilderness tripping and paddling and sea kayaking and, you know, later on mountain biking and everything. Anything people did outdoors, I wanted to reflect that. So that was the career. Yeah. Did you have a sense that 
at the time that you had just landed your dream job? Or is that something that you had to do a lot of work to sort of evolve and cultivate into the things you just described? No, I think I knew right away that's that was the deal. And it's interesting because a good buddy of mine, Doug Smith, who went on to be outdoors writer at the Star Tribune with Denny Anderson for many, many years, he was working at the Duluth paper at the same time. And we were both vying for that position of outdoors writer when it came available. Um, and Doug's a tremendous writer and reporter, and and he probably should have gotten the job, but um, I I lucked out. <laughs> and we were still great buddies and have done you know a lot of trips together and stuff over the years. I mean, it is a pretty incredible thing. And you know, Sam, I definitely relate to your story moving up here to the Gunflint Trail, thinking I would live here for a year, and now it's um, yeah almost eight years and I have no plans to go elsewhere. And there's the, a, familiar, a familiarity to that story that I want to tap into. Do you, you know, not having not grown up in an outdoorsy sort of home culture community and then discovering it as an adult, what was it like? What do you remember at, uh, about those first trips into the wilderness and that process of discovery for you personally? Well, my first trip was actually when I was living in Kansas in high school. Some couple of businessmen in town offered to throw a bunch of us together and do a trip to the out through the summer's canoe base out of Ely. And and I had never heard of the Boundary Waters or anything. And, and some friend of my family said, you should think about doing this and we signed up and did it and I can remember I, I have the map of you know where we went on the trip we went a big you know eight nine day trip up into Quetico and back around it and, and I just I mean Kansas has you know a few farm ponds and some a couple reservoirs it, it's it was unbelievable I couldn't believe what was there and that that you could drink out of the lakes which we did and you could drink water off your canoe paddle. And I mean, I was exhausted the whole time. I was a shrimp. I, I'm not, I wasn't the massive specimen I am now, of course. And um, so, I mean, I remember on the first portage, I just pack, I'm sure it was a gear pack, not a food pack. And, and I sat down on a, a deadfall to rest and went right over backwards. So the pack just took me on over. So, you know, I was a pretty seasoned traveler, <laughs> Matthew. And, uh, but, I mean, to stand under a waterfall and to, you know, drink water off your canoe paddle out of the lakes. It was just, it, it opened my eyes to a world that I didn't know was there. And then we started reading Sigils and then Calvin Rustrum and all these people. And it was like, okay, I, we, we have to go there at least for a little while. And, uh, and then we ended up just hanging out forever. Yeah. I mean, those formative experiences as a youth, uh, I think you can't say more clearly how that can shape a trajectory in life. Right. Um, and for you, you had this sense of like, okay, you said it, I want to go there and live there. And what did that relocation experience allow you to have as an integrated part of your lifestyle moving to the edge of canoe country? Well, it was, I don't know what it allowed me or us to have, except that 
we moved to Ely and we were just taken in by the community and we got to know so many people who, and many of whom were our age, you know, mid twenties, late twenties who wanted to paddle and go cross country ski in the back country all winter. And, um, and it was like a playground. It was like, um, but we worked all the time. Sometimes we only worked part-time. We were living simple and, and we only worked three days a week some of the time. And, um, it was to be with people who had those same values, who treasured the wilderness that we were just barely getting to know. It was big for most of the people in Ely today. And then it was, it's just the backyard, you know, and, and you go up there because you can fish and hunt and everything else. And, and then, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I give us a pretty good credit for having the guts to do that. I look back on it now and I go, what the heck were we thinking? You know, I, and you know, then Phyllis got pregnant, but had a miscarriage. So we kind of had some additional time there. If that would have happened, I don't know. We didn't ended up not having kids till, you know, older, most older than most people did, but we weren't through playing, I guess. And um, yeah. And, and the friendships we have from Ely, you know, remain and, uh, it's just uh you know, it was a tremendous experience and like i say i, I kind of can't believe we did it yeah what what i hear in that sam it, you know the i think the question I asked is like what did that allow and what i heard you say was that allowed for you to have a community oh of yeah. like-minded passionate folks to appreciate and value and build a relationship with place and people all sort of cohesively yeah, exactly. Exactly, Matthew. And, and you know, there was just kind of a core group of us, you know, I don't know what the size of it was, but people say, hey, we're going to go ski up to Jackfish Bay or something like that. You want to go? And of course, I mean, it was just in the plan. We were just going to do something all the time. And man, you can get to know the country pretty well, uh, pretty quickly if you're not working five days a week. And you really want to poke around and it was not just paddling. It was, you know, all year round, everything we could do. And, and then, you know, working at the Ely Echo, hooking up with Bob Carey, uh, who was a legend, uh, you know, writer and, and a great outdoors person. And then we, you know, he was a great influence in our lives and really kind of took us under his wing and tried to show us some things too. So that was, that was just great. You bring up a really good point, Sam, there, the, the power of having mentors in the outdoors. Exactly. And, you know, I think, I think that happens and I've talked to scout groups and whoever, you know, when I show slides and stuff, I say, if you, if there's a place you want to go, go, just go, things will work out somehow in ways you cannot predict, but Yes, Bob was very much a mentor and a good friend till he died. And and with it, but I think that almost always happens to people who go to a place. If you're unless you're just a total recluse or something like that, if you're open to it, it will happen. And then there'll be a Buck Benson, and then you guys become friends, and then that gives you the avenues into all these folks who know him and. I don't know. It, it's just, uh, it, it, it works out better than you think it's going to, even though you're a little bit, have some trepidation going in. Absolutely. And I think, you know, there's 
an element of that, of living in community on the edge of the wilderness with this sort of multi-generational um, element of connection. And, and then this thing that you named, which is year-round access, which I think is one of the things that living on the edge allows for that kind of puts it into this other category right? Uh, is the being able to get accustomed to skiing and to watching for wild ice skating to yep. find, you know, find finding those places that also maybe aren't that accessible any other time of year. And it sounds like you were able to do a lot of that because of living there and this way that the options never, you know, the, the list just keeps growing. It doesn't get shorter. The more you do, it gets longer. Right. Right. It does. And, and a big part of it is the people you, the, the you're just like tentacles reaching out and, and you will connect with people and people will hear about in a small town like Grand Marais or Ely or something like that. People hear about you and, you know, then they're, they may be suspicious at first or whatever, or a little, but I don't know. I don't, I didn't find people that way. They were, if you reached out, you know, they wouldn't, they weren't going to tell you their blueberry picking spots. No, but they were going to go all the way to the edge of that. You know, <laughs> they were great. Yeah. So Sam, I, that just resonates so deeply. I would love to, I don't know if you gave any thought to this uh, beforehand, but are there any trips or moments and memories that you have of the wilderness that were just really powerful or definitive to who you are now in hindsight? Well, I don't know if they're definitive to who I am, but I don't know. There were just so many experiences over the years. Most of them that you recall so vividly had to do with the weather, mostly challenging. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I mean, when the blowdown occurred in 99, six of us were on the way to um, the Northwest Territories to paddle a river up there. And we didn't even know what had happened until two weeks later, we got off the river and we see something on TV that it had happened back here. But it was the day we left and we thought, well, yeah, the rivers are really up on the North Shore. I don't know. It was just crazy. But no, I, I, if you, the thing about wilderness is if you poke around out there long enough, things are going to happen. And uh, not bad things, but just, powerful things that you are on a river and you are assessing a set of rapids and you're going, geez, I don't know. Well, yeah, I think we can do this part, but, the, and, you know, I have a good paddling partner, David Spencer here in Duluth, who we paddle a million miles together and we would always scout the rapids. You know, these are rivers that flow into Lake Winnipeg or Hudson Bay, the Seal River, um, a raft trip on the Tana and Chitna up in Alaska. I mean, all over. And and we weren't wild people saying, "Yeah, bring it on, baby." That isn't that isn't how we rolled. And you'd you'd assess these rapids independently and then say, "What do you think?" And yeah, I think we can do this. Or you know, it looks like we could do it all except that one spot there and i said yes that's exactly what i thought i don't see a way to do that so i we i knew we were on the same page and i was totally confident in our decision making and 
we never, I mean, we had some, you know, if you're sitting in a little tiny shack that somebody built on the shore of Hudson Bay after paddling the Seal River, waiting for a boat pickup from Churchill to come and for two days or three days. And then you hear something thumping on the canoes in the middle of the night down by the the bay. And yeah, it's a polar bear. And yeah, we had a gun and yeah, it walked right from the canoes up down directly downwind to our little shack there built by a guy named jack said jack is that this before the trip said jack is that shack bear proof he said well it's five eighths inch plywood takes him a while to get through that (laughs) which we thought was kind of a classic thing but we weren't letting him get to the five eighths inch plywood we fired a warning shot when he was headed right for us about 30 yards away and he turned and went on up the bay which was a desired result obviously but yeah, you don't. We didn't sleep well after that. Man, Sam, so there's two things in that that I think you know we can go either direction. But there's two things that really stick out to me in what you said. One is uh, the importance of having uh, a reliable, lo- kind of long-term adventure buddy. Yep. Um, who you can assess and make decisions and really trust out in the outdoors. So we could talk about that. And the other thing is, uh, you know, because you're not talking about the boundary waters in this story, but I think the way that that relates back to the boundary waters is that it really can become a training ground, a confidence building space to go further. You're exactly right. And we had so much experience and all of my paddling partners on that trip did. And we'd made many other river trips before that as well. But And it all started in like... 83 on the God's River, where Ken Gilbertson from UMD, the outdoor program guy, said, Sam, you and Phyllis should should do this trip. And, you know, it cost a little money, and it was going to be, how long were we gone? Like three weeks or a month or something like that? And I think we were gone a month. And I went to my editor and said, geez, here, I have a good idea. I could do this story, but I'll be gone a month. He said, and this is another thing. If people believe in you, he, he didn't hesitate. He said, that's fine, he said. Uh, write me a column for each week while you're gone before you go. I said, dang, yes, I'm in. And and so that's where it all began. And then thanks to Ken for being the catalyst to say, you you guys should do this trip. And, you know, that was a hard, wonderful, tremendous trip. Uh, but it just, you know, stopping in native villages and talking to people, the residents there and buying moccasins from them and i don't know it was just tremendous and that that was the start of all those big river trips up north um let's see where i can't remember what else you said well let's stick with that for a minute if you don't mind yeah so you know i think most of the people that listen um to the podcast the you know they're you know i would say probably 90 percent of these folks may they've or all of them have paddled the boundary waters. A percentage of them have paddled Quetico, and a much smaller percentage have progressed up to like Wabakimi or even to um, river paddling the you know Canadian rivers like even the Blood Vein. Or um, so, could you speak a little bit to the progression of? boundary waters and what that can teach you and then building on those to go further and deeper. Yeah. I, 
I think that it is all done incrementally. And I mean, it started like right when we got to the canoe base in Ely on that 64 canoe trip and they take you down to the lake in your swimsuit and say, okay, you're going to paddle out here and you're going to turn these boats over and you're going to, we're going to show you how to get back to shore. So if you're lucky enough to have people either organized groups like that or friends to teach you your skills, then you build on that and you're willing to bite off a little more the next time or whatever. But it's none of this is done in this, like I say, in this great, sense of wild adventure it's all kind of managed adventure you you it's managed by you and your friends who are there you you know what you're capable of and if not everybody in the group is capable of doing it then you make a different plan in that situation either you all portage instead of running the rapids or you all um you, you just work at it together or whatever but there are a lot of different options but you you just have to um you have to kind of evolve through all of that. And you're, I don't know who coined this term, but we, we are some, you're operating, you know, you're in a good place when you're operating at your just manageable level of difficulty. And that is a heady zone. It's really a fun place to be. And it's a bit scary, but it's not that scary. It's just, but it's it's more fun. It's a heck of a lot more fun than than being below that level. You know, you were there at one time, but now you're ready for this. I don't know. No, I love that. I um, have heard that referred to as the zone of tolerance in some other realms. Um, but yeah, be- or or flow state even where yeah. below that sort of sweet spot, you're bored or. Yeah, but and but above that, you're too anxious. Your nervous system is too wound up to really make good on the experience either. So there's a sweet spot of pushing limits that like maximizes adventure, excitement, but also learning and growing at the same time. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, in our country, it's often wind related. You're trying to get across a bay, and you know, you're you're. I mean, we've been in plenty of situations where we were not totally comfortable. It was stroke to stroke and, you know, let's not let the bow swing too far, you know, off the, you know, being into the wind or whatever. And learning, okay, the water's cold now. We aren't going to mess around. You might make a different decision about crossing a, a piece of water in summer, midsummer compared to, you know, mid-April or mid-May. And we do, we have. And yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's really good emotionally to be on the edge of that. You're, like I say, you're just manageable level of difficulty or whatever, but you don't want to be there all the time. I mean, sometimes you're happy just to be paddling down a flat lake and, and life is good and stuff, you know? Yeah. So for you, that sort of, you know, there's this progression of like, oh, building confidence in wind and colder temperatures, building all the way up to there's a polar bear outside of the shack. And those are two extremely different zones of comfort, but you progress through that. And I guess I want to bring it back to this question about your work and your writing. Did writing about your travels enhance them or bring more, 
or has that brought more, has that brought something additional to your experiences for you? I don't think so. I don't think it enhanced those experiences. It, it was, I, I made me happy that I could share it with other people and they could read it and say, Hey, Sue, did you see this? We got to try this, a trip like this someday. You know that, I mean, that's, that's what I hope was happening with any stories, pheasant hunting or, you know, lake trout fishing or whatever. We ought to, we ought to do that. You know, that's, that's what I wanted people to, to take from it. Uh, but it, it, um, no, it didn't enhance the experience, except that I was happy to record it. I was happy to to craft a story around it, and that made all my buddies of and Phyllis and everybody else have put up with me, you know, having to pull out a darn notebook and scribble in it all the time and ask them. Now, when we were at the top of those rabbits, did you say holy crap or what was it you said there? You know, I just want to make sure I get that quote right. And and so they, my friends have always put up with that. Uh, and I don't think they were looking for any glory or any exposure. I probably overexposed all of them, you know, but um, they were great. They've been great. You know, that's amazing. And I guess I want to open this up Sort sort of to anything that you want to say, but it sounds like at this point in life, moving to Ely, what that allowed for you was this community of people to travel and and immerse in the wilderness. And I I wonder, I guess I should re-ask that: is that still the case for you? Are you still reaping the benefits of that at this point, or has that evolved? Oh, I mean, I'm not still. I guess I'm still making new friends some of the time, but when you get to this age, you you kind of got all the friends you need if they're still alive, you know? <laughs> um, but what is, what makes your life so rich is the collective experiences you've had with these people. I mean, these buddies and I go up to Alaska this summer and do the no attack river and, and we've all done many trips before and the conversations are often about how this compares to that or how this trip we're presently on this is different. This is higher risk. This is, you know, and we actually verbalize it. We talk about it. Um, but yeah, I, I just think all the stuff you, all these things you do together over time, when you've been in these situations with people and, you know, Phyllis and I have been on, uh, on our own trips, just the two of us and mine with other people, you have that experience bank in there and you have, because you've had common experiences, you can relate a current situation to that and say, you know, maybe we ought to hold up until this wind dies down or whatever, and, and when to make that call. Um, and, and because we all trust each other, and Phyllis and I trust each other, we're all pretty much on the same page. And, and you just feel so thankful. And I've been out on, you know, fishing trips or something like that with people I don't know in my job. I was often with people I didn't know well. I maybe knew one person in the group, but I remember going across Lake of the Woods in a 16-foot lung with a guy at the end of a my time up there. He was going to drop me off, and it was, the fog just set in. And this guy's just motoring down the lake, and we, I'm up in the bow, and I got another guy in the middle, and and we can't see a thing. And And I'm thinking, Bobby, I, I don't know how you know where you are here, but I, I remember coming in here. There were a bunch of s small rock islands with no trees on them and stuff. And how do I know we're not going to hit those? And 
I tend to trust my hosts in most of those situations in, in work situations, but I said something. I said, Bobby, knock it down here. We got to talk about this. I'm not comfortable. And, and the guy in the middle, Pat, he said, yeah, I think we ought to go to shore someplace if we can find shore and, and sit it out for a while. So there was always that, uh, that that was a, when you're in a situation with people you don't know and you don't have the history with my buddies if we'd been in a situation like that we'd have uh, they'd have been right on the same page with me heck yes this is nuts you know and we waited it out fog eventually lifted and we got out of there but it was it was not a very few times i've ever felt that way but i had the confidence to say something when when it needs to be said i think I, my wife and kids and I'd really like to see them again. And, you know, I didn't, <laughs> I mean, that's a dramatic way to put it, but that's bottom line. That's what it is. And that's what it is when you're assessing a set of rapids or, you know, deciding, are you going to paddle Hudson Bay? Or are you going to have the, you know, the guy come and pick you up at the little shack? I, I don't know. Sam, I just want to open up closing thoughts, reflections on, the wilderness, the boundary waters, your time with it, anything that you want to share? Well, we're so lucky to have it. I mean, this, I grew up in an area that didn't have anything like the wilderness and the, the public lands and stuff that we have up here. And that's great. And we, we should fight to protect those and fight to not allow mining to degradate them or anything like that. That's, that's important. And people should speak up. Um, and um, mostly I just feel a, a great sense of gratitude for the way things have worked out uh, for us as a family, our kids. And, you know, we, they must have picked up on this spirit of adventure somehow. They're living in Switzerland and France and we hardly get to see them, you know. So uh, I guess we did too good a job there. I don't know. Well, any time that, um, that Sam comes along, he brings a, a kind of a, a joy to the trip. He, he's so curious about everything. He's so into the, the day. There's no distractions. He's totally there. Sam is a people guy. He's a story guy. And uh, that's just the type of person he was. Nice to hear the story of Sam Cook in that full picture. I know when he retired from the Duluth News Tribune, we had him featured on WTIP and he shared some of his life story, but it's a eight minute, you know, Sam, you're retiring. Thanks for all the hard work on to the next show. So nice to hear a little more depth on that. It's so powerful. You know, there are a lot of folks out there like this, but these paddler profile interviews are really a, centering around how somebody incorporates their life into the wilderness and the wilderness into their life. And I know not everyone gets to live that kind of life, but those that do, they, they obviously have huge impacts on the people around them and the people that they share it with. And we got to be a part of that today. Yeah. I really appreciate hearing from Sam and I would really, really like to go fishing with him sometime.
I hope you do. You know, he was just up here uh, to ski the Cascade River with Buck Benson and a few other locals. He's still getting out there. Nice. Love to hear it. A uh, place where I think Sam Cooke would have a lot of fun. Next month, Madison, Wisconsin. Canucopia? It nears. So here we are. We're into February, which means next month, something like 30-some days now, we're going to be in Madison at Canucopia. It approaches rapidly. We've got the booth. Once again, we'll be, if people have seen us at Canucopia, we'll be somewhere out in that uh, first floor when you get in the building. And then we are also presenting this year. Right. We've talked about it before. We're going to keep talking about it. We're going to be there in person sharing about our methods and ways of thinking about doing your own audio diaries, trip reports, how to artistically and creatively capture your wilderness trips while you're on them. Mm -hmm, Exactly. It's a different way to approach a trip. If you're at Canucopia, check us out there. Otherwise, we'll be sharing more about it on the podcast too. But more importantly, or as importantly, if you're at Canucopia, come say hi. We love those of you that come to see us year after year. It's such a joy for us to reconnect with you in person. And all of you that we seem to meet each year anew, those of you that have just started listening to the podcast or have never heard of it and then start listening, it's just we continue to grow this community we're all a part of, and Canucopia has become a fixture of that community. That's right. March 10th through the 12th, 2023, Canucopia. Matthew and I are going to be rolling down Thursday afternoon, getting all set up on Friday, and then it opens uh, late Friday afternoon. I've come to love that Friday night opener. There's such a buzz to it. Oh, <laughs> it's so great. And I mean, you are fueled typically after a long week of work and the drive and your energy drinks. And I mean, you turn into a bit of a madman. Uh, yeah, I get a certain look in my eye. It's There's no doubt about it. It's a combination <laughs> of a twinkle and a spark. And a flame. <laughs> Come check it out and see for yourself. <laughs> It'll tell be great. Us, yeah, tell us what you think. So we'll see you in Canoe Copia. Thanks again to Sam Cook. And thanks for listening. I just sing when I paddle through the Feeling not thinking if the strokes are true. We're gonna get through to the other side. Out in the night, the waves beat the shore. You can hear them pounding. You can hear them roar. Oh, roll me. Rock me. You can roll me, rock me in my dreams So I like to sing, I love to dance I play the fool if I got the chance All around the campfire light All around the campfire light All around, all around, all around The campfire light Thank you.